and honestly, like uh, before I learned to establish the boundaries, I really would give literally the shirt off my back to my own detriment. I would freeze in the gold to give you my shirt. I would give and give and give hoping for acceptance and love. And it doesn't get you that. It actually makes other people extremely uncomfortable when you overgive. It actually establishes lack of boundaries on your part for their boundaries of receiving, um, makes them feel in obligation to you and maybe a little guilty. Welcome back, everybody, to the Redemption Road podcast. I'm your host, Doc John. Here on Redemption Road, we are interviewing higher performers to hear their life hacks and strategies to overcome the most difficult of life barriers to not only live a life of just surviving, but thriving and living in abundance. Today, we have a guest. She is a marketing strategist, offering custom solutions for managing outreach, creating high-quality content, developing multi-channel marketing campaigns, She's worked in TV, radio, billboards, newspaper, magazines, pretty much any form of advertising, and uh, very much uh, a guru in terms of branding and logo. I'm talking about Jennifer Thompson. She's the CEO of WebSpark Media. Jennifer, thank you for being here. Welcome. Thank you, man. I'm very happy to be here today. Uh, Honored to have you, and thank you for spending the time with us. So let's just delve in. Um, of course, redemption is the theme of the podcast. And so uh, everybody that comes on has uh, has been very successful and is a high performer, but uh, has also gone through their share of uh, peaks and valleys in life and share of challenges. And so um, I know you've got a story to tell. We all do. And so I'd like to open it up to you and have you tell us a little bit about yourself from, from earlier on in life and some of the struggles that you've had to overcome to get to where you are, because Oftentimes everybody sees the success that somebody's had and they see the accolades and everything else, but they don't see the struggles and sometimes the failures and the, the darkness that somebody has gone through to get to where they're at. So I'd like to hear, you know, some of what you've been through and uh, also the strategies that you've gone through to that you've employed to overcome them. Great. So, well, I'll just jump right in. So um, as a child, I was born to teenage parents, a 15 year old mother and an 18 year old father. Um, They managed to have three kids by the time my mother was 19 and be divorced by the time she was 21. Um, In that time, as you can imagine, they were exceptionally poor. Um, We lived in a trailer home with a weird addition on the front. And instead of having a furnace, we had a wood burning stove for heat. Um, You know, it was it was kind of hard to put things together. That was where they could live. They couldn't legally sign a lease. And they had three children uh, to support um, living on some pretty meager wages. Um, they got divorced at uh, 21 and 24, um, and my father actually started working at GM, and my mother was a bartender. So we went off with my mom. She was a bartender, so she worked at night, and my aunt cared for us. Um, and my aunt is um, a little bit uh, mentally handicapped, but not much so that she can take care of children, but she's a little on the slower end of the spectrum. And she was our primary caregiver um, throughout those those years while my mom worked to support us and my father was pretty much absent. So it was a pretty uh, rough childhood in terms of meals, places to live, um, you know, getting our basic needs met in general. There were many times when there was no food in the cupboard, uh, many times when the utilities would be shut off and the caregiver that we had um, you know, was, was a caregiver and that's it. She didn't provide a lot of mental stimulation, et cetera. And no, 
no diss on my aunt. She's a wonderful human. She just, um, this was the maximum of her capability um, wow. to help manage three children. Um, so so, so I, you were the oldest of the children? I am the oldest for sure. Yes. Okay. So th this yeah. is, this is always an interesting uh, discussion because when you're the oldest of the children, you're oftentimes the one that is um, looking out for everybody else. And, you know, especially under circumstances that are challenging like this, if you have a caretaker who, you know, isn't providing a lot of stimulation. It sounds like you had to grow up awfully fast. If I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's call that a hunch on my part. Nail on the head. <laughs> Completely. I, I basically managed my sister and brother um, from about six years old um, onward. So they're they're each a couple years younger than you. Uh, my sister, my sister's three and a half years younger. My brother is four and a half years younger. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm I'm willing to bet you're still kind of parenting them to this day. Um, not really. Actually, they've they've grown into my sister. Unfortunately, is a drug addict, and and she's off living in a van down by the river. Um, we've tried to rehab her many times, and so we don't have a lot of contact anymore. Um, my brother, however, has thrived. He uh, he has a child. He has his own piece of property. He works a job he's been at for quite a little, quite a long time. So he's he's uh, you know thriving in the middle class quite well. Um, has a pretty good life. So overall, I would say I'm very proud of him. He's managed to like pull it up out of the muck as much as possible. I think in his case, he has pretty severe dyslexia um, and ADHD. So it was a pretty tough road for him, but he managed to actually do well for himself, in my opinion. Incredible. So walk me through. I mean, when you're young, you're you know, here you are, you're probably four five, six years old. You've got a couple of siblings that are, you know, toddlers and walk me through. I mean, I know it's hard to, to dial back that many years, but what's that like for you in terms of how, how do you make sense of your world when it sounds like it was very chaotic for, for the three of you growing up in that environment? Like, how did you make sense of it? And how did you, what, what, uh, I mean, you're, when you're four or five, six years old, you don't have a lot of skills to draw on you know, at that age, you're, you're not developed that much, but how, how did you develop skills to cope with that? What, 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 what did you employ? Well, the, the good news is, is as a child, I was super advanced. I started walking before I was one. I could read by the time I was four. Um, so I was a pretty bright child ahead of the curve quite a bit. Um, and I think that was really to my benefit in a lot of cases, because I learned things pretty quickly. Um, and I would manage to help feed my brother and sister again. My aunt was around, but not the most capable person. Um, you know, I'd help feed them. I'd help get them to bed. I'd help manage their behavior in some cases. Um, and it was just a matter of catching on uh, quickly to what was the expectation. How could I help? Um, and kind of turned me into a super giver. How can I help? How can I help? How can I help? Because that was my childhood. So that, that giving philosophy still holds true today. Absolutely, it does. And but but more in a more healthy way than it did then. Um, up until, you know, probably five years ago, I was, you know, compensating for my self-worth by being a giver, which is never a good place to be. Let's talk a little bit about that, because I, I think that's a valuable lesson that I'm always trying to impart on my listeners and the, my clients, the people I work with. T tell me more about your perspective in terms of how being a giver was counterproductive for you, you know, without having the right limits or boundaries in place. Well, and honestly, like uh, before I learned to establish the boundaries, I really would give literally the shirt off my back to my own detriment. I would freeze in the gold to give you my shirt. I would give and give and give hoping for acceptance and love. And it doesn't get you that. It actually makes other people extremely uncomfortable when you overgive. It actually establishes lack of boundaries on your part for their boundaries of receiving, um, makes them feel in obligation to you and maybe a little guilty 
because you're doing way more than you absolutely should. Um, there were points in my life where I had, you know, crazy amounts of money and I would do things for people thinking I was being a good person and I would overstep boundaries and, and make them uncomfortable because I would do too much and they didn't ask me for it. And I'd make them feel inadequate and useless because I would go and just keep doing it and keep doing it. And whether they wanted me to or not, it just, it, it's what I needed to do to feel like I was of worth. Um, and, and just ruined a lot of relationships actually by doing that. And even like male, female, boyfriend, girlfriend relationships, I ruined them by making these men in my life feel like worthless people because I would just give and give and give and give and give, and they could never keep up with me in the giving department. And there were no boundaries to that. And, uh, it made them feel bad, honestly. So even though you have the best of intentions, it ends up being taken as an insult and putting people off. And, and so it ends up pushing them away and, it's, a, it's very frustrating because that's sometimes a cycle that can continue on and on. So wh- what was it that made you realize, how did you come to realize that that wasn't serving you well? How did you come to change that pattern? Um, there came a point uh, where I was pretty isolated and very lonely, honestly. Um, and I had to start really evaluating my behavior. And then I just started asking people that were in my life that were no longer in my life, why? Why did you leave? I thought we were great friends. I've done so much for you. Does that sound like the thing to say? I've done so much for you. Why aren't you still here? Um, and, uh, and the feedback I unanimously received was, dude, you gave to me in such a manner that you just made me feel like a worthless pile of crap. And I just didn't like it. You made me uncomfortable. I didn't uh, want it. I didn't ask for it. And you just kept doing it. And you made me feel invaluable, like not valuable, you know, like made me feel uncomfortable because I could never reciprocate because it didn't make sense to me. Gotcha. So yeah, I, I think I, I think when we're giving too much, it, it, there's a couple of ways it, it can work out negatively because the, the situation you described it, it can also have you know it, it can happen where you're pushing people away, it makes them uncomfortable. I think also you know people become too too much of a giver, and then the giver themselves start to feel resentful too because you're giving in hopes that you're getting something back, you're getting something reciprocated, not necessarily anything monetary or maybe you're giving monetarily or you know material, but you're not necessarily expecting that back, but you're expecting that's going to get you the positive regard from other people, the acceptance, the love and everything else. And then lo and behold, I mean, it's just like, um, you know, that, that book that I, that I love to recommend to everybody, the no more Mr. Nice guy by Dr. Robert Glover, you know, the nice guy is constantly giving, 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 and then expecting to get back that, that love and that acceptance and uh, that positive regard return. And it never happens. And then when it doesn't happen, then the resentment builds and the resentment builds towards the other person. So there's that anger, you know, because they feel like they're being taken advantage of. The giver feels like they're being taken advantage of. And then they start to be resentful towards themselves for not having that boundary in the first place and allowing themselves to get taken advantage of in the first place. And so the, that resentment towards self becomes very much uh, anger turned inward and anger turned inward is depression. That's when people start getting depressed. And so it's a difficult cycle for a couple of different directions. Oh, I absolutely agree. And you don't, as an overgiver, you don't know why you're doing it or what you're doing. It just like a compulsion. Like you have to do it to try to get exactly what you said, that love and validation back. You don't even know what you're looking for, but you do get pissed off and resentful. You do get angry because you're like, oh, why don't you love me? I've done so much for you. It's it's like rolls off your tongue uh, when you get in fights and other things like that. You know, it's like I have done so much for you. How could you uh, not fold your socks or something ludicrous like that? You know, you just feel like they are somehow obligated to to be this superhuman. It's not possible. Right. And it's and, it, and sometimes it works the other way, because, you know, if we don't set the boundaries as givers, 
oftentimes takers don't set boundaries, you know, givers have to be the one setting the boundaries because takers rarely do. And unfortunately, unfortunately, people will also try to, you know, they they take a cue from you in terms of how you respect yourself. And if they realize that you're a giver and that you're going to keep on giving, they're going to keep going to the well, so to speak. And, uh, you know, until you protect yourself, they're not going to look out for you and try to protect you either. That's that's also a valid point. Yeah, they will suck that well dry and then and then stand there and wait to see if they can get one more drop. Right, right. So that that giving. Um, so whenever, you know, I would say whenever we stop doing something, we have to replace it with something else. So, so that that giving was something that filled a void in your life. And so, you know, we stopped doing something like that. What did you what did you fill that void with when you when you set that boundary and stopped, you know, overgiving? I mean, it's 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 great to give, like you said, you know, if it's done in the right way and the right amount. And, um, you know, I, I guess I hate to use the term within reason, but, it, <laughs> it's, you know, un, under the right circumstances, I should say. But um, what, uh, what what did you substitute for that? Um, so uh, at that at that turning point, when I started looking in, I actually like like I said, I was kind of ostracized. I didn't have a lot of friends anymore. So I just started going to the gym. I started working out and uh, and just taking kind of better care of myself. So I just started building more self-worth. Um, I was overweight as well. Um, and I and I just started being like, you know, maybe I wouldn't feel so crappy if I went to the gym and started working out. And it sort of filled that like endorphin I needed. Uh, to to feel better about myself a little bit. And then obviously I built relationships at the gym because I go there every day for years now. Um, and so I got a replacement relationships as well as taking better care of myself and getting endorphins from something else. It was no longer endorphins from seeking love. It was endorphins from, you know, beating myself up at the gym. Um, and now I do it. Now I go to the gym because I want to take care of myself. Back then I went to the gym because I hated myself. I hated that I was overweight. I hated that I didn't have any friends. I hated that I felt like this and I just beat the crap out of my body um, to kind of show it who's boss. And then I, you know, evolved over time to a place where I do it because I love myself and I want to be healthy. But when it started, it was not a healthy coping mechanism. It just happened to turn into one. Gotcha. And it's, it's, it's incredible what going to the gym can do for you. And you know, in in my coaching practice, you know, your, your physical fitness is, is one of, it's one of my, six pillars of confidence. And it's, it's such an important thing because when, when it comes to your fitness, it's you against you. There's nothing else. There's nobody else in the picture that can dictate anything. You're, you're competing with yourself. There, there's nobody else that can stop you from doing what you got to do when it comes to, to being fit. And it's, it's such a, a great way to cultivate, you know, that, that, that self-love, the love that you used to be trying to seek from other people by giving and overgiving in this case, you're able to cultivate it from within. And like you said, you're, you got a point where, you know, I'm here, I'm showing myself love. I'm, I'm doing this because I respect myself and because I deserve this and I want this for me. And, you know, I'm going to respect my body. I'm going to love my body. And so I'm doing this for, you know, for my body and for me. And so you're showing yourself love. You're cultivating that confidence because I'm going there every day. I'm being consistent. I'm doing what I say I was going to do every single day and being, you know, you do that over and over again you lend those simple simplicity and consistency. And after a while, that's, that's a big deposit in the confidence bank. And then, yeah, absolutely. And then, like you said, you, you know, like attracts like, I mean, you hang out in the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. You hang out at the gym long enough. You're going to start making friends with other people that go to the gym and value the same things. 
Yeah, it definitely. And it definitely improved the the other half of what you're talking about is the takers. I was surrounded by takers. And uh, now I'm not. I'm surrounded by people that cheer me on and are happy to see me. And it's just even if it's as simple as a good morning, I'm glad to see your face today. Where were you yesterday? And things like that. It gives you that like somebody cares. Somebody cares if I turned up missing or somebody cares if I'm I'm gone um, more so than the other one where I could give and give and give and nobody really noticed. So it's, it, it feeds a lot of those like same reward centers in your brain of just being acknowledged, being valued, being missed, being appreciated. Um, so it, it served a, a lot of purposes for sure. Yeah, definitely makes you feel like your life has purpose when people notice that you're, you know, that you're not gone. It's not necessarily that we want to go out and get attention, but you know, when people, you know, notice our absence and, you know, shows that we matter, it, it makes all the hard work we do worth it when, uh, you know, you realize that you have left an imprint on people's lives and you have impacted them. And and sometimes you don't realize just how much you have. No, absolutely not. I have people come up to me randomly often now and they're like, oh, you just have such a big smile on your face when you're in here and it's five o'clock in the morning and like, uh, you're just always smiling. And I'm like, you're yeah, one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I am not a morning person by default, but but I find joy in being there. It makes me happy to take care of myself, to see my people I see every day, to start my day in a place that's for me. It's just, it's part of like the routine I've established. And I hate mornings. I'd rather sleep in until 11, to be honest with you. But if I have to be up at that time to do things, I'd rather be up doing that. Oh, absolutely. I, I think a lot of people aren't morning people by design, but your morning routine is everything. And so, I mean, it sets the tone for what you're going to do. And, you know, to quote Garrett J. White, I mean, it weaponizes you for the day. I mean, how you start the day. I mean, you start out the day and you're, you're getting your body moving around and you're doing the right things nutrition wise. Maybe you're taking a greens powder. You're sending a couple of messages to people that are important to you for, in terms of your relationships, you're doing some reading, some meditation, you know, or you know, you're listening to a podcast and then reading or listening long enough so that you can share a nugget with those, you know, declare it to somebody else. I mean, you you have a morning routine where you're taking care of all those things and it doesn't have to take a lot of time, but you're addressing the four areas of, of your life with, um, you know, your fitness, your mindset, your business and your relationships. And by the time you roll into the door of your office, you're miles ahead of the person that just rolled out of bed a half hour ago and is all flustered and, you know, they're just, they're not in the game with you. They're playing the rest of their day on defense. I absolutely agree. Like, again, I don't, I don't like calling my butt out of bed at 4.30 in the morning. I really don't. Like some mornings I'm like, oh, but my morning routine is like pretty set in stone. I know when I have to get up, I have five minutes to like sit and think about it. And then I got to get up. I got to go. I have to do these things and I get, I knock out a whole bunch of stuff before I even get to work. And it involves like, my great my, my grateful meditation that I do in the morning it involves getting my exercise in I have a good breakfast I like you know look through my emails which they say you're not supposed to do but I like to do it it makes me feel like I'm caught up and ready to seize the day so that's a personal thing they say not to but I, I prefer to do it so I don't walk into 25 emails I just feel caught up and and ready to like tackle that stuff and you know when I I speak to my mom. We go on a walk every morning together. So I get some family time in and it's just, it's just something I just look forward to almost every day, even on the days I don't want to do it. I, I love how you mentioned the gratitude component as well, because I think that's such a powerful thing to start the day with, because I tell all my clients that you can't be, you know, if you're having problems with anger, if you're having problems with fear, if you're reciting five or 10 things at the start of the day that you're grateful for, 
it's going to be impossible for you to be angry at the same time. It's going to be impossible for you to be fearful at the same time. And that's how so many people start the day. A lot of people start their day pissed off. They start their day feeling anxious about what's going to be coming at them. And like I said, they end up, they're playing defense the rest of the day. But if you're starting the day feeling grateful, I mean, how, how much better is that to start, start off on that leg? Yeah, I can't, I can't stress that enough. It's just, it, and it takes, how long does it take? Two minutes? It takes, it takes such a nominal amount of time. Like the time that you're pouring creamer into your coffee, if you drink coffee, it, that's how much time it takes to just be grateful. It's, it's such a small piece of the day. Um, I, any excuse to not do it is silly to me because it's just such a, like, to me, it's such a habit at this point, but it, it takes a minute amount of time compared to the hour and a half. I have to be at the gym and the half an hour to drive and all the other things I do. Why can't I take two or three minutes to just appreciate it? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of those atomic habits, like what James Clear talks about They're atomic in terms of they're small, the size of an atom, but what it adds up to for you when you do it consistently over time. I mean, it's, um, the magnitude of what it can do for you is it's, it's amazing considering it's like a little tiny, it's not, that's not even a 1% shift daily. I mean, the two minutes is such a small percentage of your day. It's, you know, how could you not do it? And, you know, people claim they don't have time to do things, but they have time to surf social media and watch Netflix and everything else. You can make a couple minutes to do your gratitude. You can make time to work out. You can make time to meal prep. You can do, you can make time for all these other things. And so um, it just, it's a matter of prioritizing and what's important to you and, you know, starting that day properly, it's, it's, it's going to really set the tone for you. So sounds like you got that nailed pretty well. I mean, success leaves clues. Yeah, that's what they say. And, and to circle it back to, to another thing I struggle with, I have ADHD and I have it really severely. I don't take drugs to manage it. I started, let's, let's talk about that. Gosh, yeah, man, that's, I, don't, I don't take I, drugs I, to manage I, it. I think, uh, you know, so many people that have on here, you know, myself included, I mean, the, the, let's face it, the crew we run with is a bunch of entrepreneurs. And I would say probably, I would say more than 50% of the ones that I've met from the network we belong to have said they've been diagnosed with ADHD. Yeah. So I, I have it so severely. They asked me if I wanted to be on disability. I, I have wow. a pretty, pretty severe uh, case of it. Um, How old were you when you were diagnosed? Uh, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 26 years old. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And as a child, obviously it was sit still, pay attention, stop fidgeting, sit down, quit talking, blah, blah, blah. Right. All the things as a girl having it, 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 did, it didn't show up in your academics though. Um, no, because I was in such a, like such a chaotic world that my control was to get good grades in school. It, which, which is like, you know, like I didn't know if I was going to have food. I didn't know if I was going to have electricity. I had to take care of my sister and brother. And so I created structure in my life by getting good grades. So I could be the like good kid. You know what I mean? Like it was pounded in my head, be a good kid, be a good kid. So I got good grades. Um, so, so how did you create that structure though? Cause that's just, you know, when you're ADHD, I mean, that's hard to do. We don't just say, Oh, Hey, I'm going to do that. That's like, it what? took years. I'm, it didn't, I didn't wake up and have structure. It started with little things, just like Atomic Habits. I've read that book as well. It started with little things like making sure I eat breakfast before I went to school. Sometimes there, you know, there was no food. So I would go have to find like, what, what was I going to eat? And I would have to eat. Right. And, and over time, I just built like the I just built the habit. I knew I had to be at the bus at 745. I knew that I had to get my sister and brother dressed by 730 to get to the bus by 745. And having to take care of these people at such a young age, I think is where that structure came in because if I didn't do it, it wasn't going to get done. And so I think that's probably where the roots started. And then wanting to be 
you know, loved and appreciated by my, my kind of absent parents instilled in me, be the good kid that goes unnoticed because, you know, then they'll, then they'll love you, I guess. And so the two, the two the people pleasing kind of started there, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And it was get good grades and don't be a burden, get good grades, don't be a burden. Um, and so while I was hyper and I did get in trouble a lot and things like that, it was always, but I get good grades. So I could offset you get in trouble for, for being a hyper little brat, but, but I get good grades. So, you know, it, it kind of offset, I guess. I don't know. I don't even know like where that thinking came from. As I said, I was kind of a smart kid. Um, and so I must've somehow correlated, well, if I get good grades, maybe they won't bug me about spazzing out and painting the wall or something. Okay. So getting, so getting good grades, it's a way of people pleasing. So it's the, the people pleasing and the overgiving it's, I, and I can't remember if it was Goggins or where I heard it, but they talk about the analogy of a safety belt, you know, like a car seat belt. And it sounds like that was your seat belt. Cause early on, that was a means of survival for you to yeah. be the good kid to people, please that, you know, that, that kept you from getting in trouble. That kept people from getting angry at you. And a seat belt is good for us, you know, when you have the impact and you're going through the car accident, but after the accident has happened, then the seatbelt isn't adaptive anymore when the car is flipped over and you're trying to get out of it and the car is on fire. Yep. And so oftentimes what served us up to a certain point in our adulthood, what, what kept us alive, what kept us going, what kept us surviving, no longer serves us anymore. It actually starts to restrict us the same way when you're trying to get out of a burning car, you know, you're stuck there. And it sounds like that's that's what happened in your case, too. Yeah. So welcome to, to 19. I moved out when I was 16, but welcome to 19 where I got to go to college. First person in my family to do that. And I had utter complete freedom. And, uh, what did I do? I drank, I partied, I flunked out of school the first semester. I, you know, didn't obtain like any kind of responsibility and I just went buck wild. And, uh, and I drank heavily throughout my twenties, heavily four or five nights a week, blackout drunk, like drunk all the time. Um, I still managed to somehow get four degrees in college. Um, but I dropped out a bunch of times and it took me a long time to get that to happen. Um, but yeah, the wheels fell off when I experienced that utter freedom, when I didn't have the structure of going to high school, which I had been going to. And at 16, I graduated when I was 17, just barely. Um, so when that structure and I left, I didn't have it anymore of my parental responsibility to me. Oh, shoot shit hit the fan and off I went. I was wild. I, I think that happens a lot of times. I mean, you've had the structure in place, especially, you know, very, I mean, you had a rigid structure that you, you put on yourself. I mean, just being in the, you know, the context of school and everything else. And then all of a sudden school, like regular, you know, secondary school, high school isn't there. And so it's uh, all of a sudden you're in this position where you have all this perceived freedom and it's difficult to know what to do with that. Yeah, I got fired from jobs. I got kicked out of college. I was drunk all the time. Luckily, I didn't get any DUI by the grace of God. Um, and, you know, and I just was nuts. I just, whatever it was, I did it. It was crazy. Gosh, so sounds like a lot of learning experiences there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good memories, too. I had a lot of fun. But, and then at 26, when I finally decided I needed to grow up and get my shit together, that's when I was diagnosed with ADHD because I had a serious drinking problem. And that's how I coped with my ADHD as an adult is getting drunk. It's, you shut the brain off. You get drunk. You can't, you don't have to, right? You can stop and you, it gets quiet. And that was my coping mechanism in that area of my life is just getting hammered. What was the 
aha moment when you were 26? I had gotten fired from yet another job. I had started a business and lost it again. And uh, I flunked out of college again. And <laughs> I was about to have no place to live again. Um, and there's just like nobody, I wasn't close with my family at that point in time. And I had nobody to help me, nobody to bail me out. And I just like had this like epiphany that said, if you do not stop this, things are going to end up just like your parents were, which is no food, no shelter, no electricity, struggling paycheck to paycheck. And that's a life you're going to live forever. And unless you get your shit together, that's who you're going to be. And I didn't want to be that. I never wanted to be that. I always fought it, hence the good grades. But that is my realization is like, that is what your life's going to look like if you don't pull it together, sis. Uh, and I went to therapy, I got diagnosed. And I started to pull it out of the little nosedive that I was in. And by little nosedive, I mean, utter plane crash. Gotcha. And so you knew what you didn't want. You had lived that already. You weren't going to go down that road again. Hail to the no. <laughs> <laughs> no I, I, don't, I don't blame you. It sounds like it was a very difficult point, but it sounds like it's a point where you really took ownership. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. that was the beginning of taking ownership because I still spent, you know, three or four more years being a bit of a shit show, but not as bad as I was before. It was three or four more years of still drinking too heavily, of still making bad decisions, but I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, and I just started doing the things I needed to do. I owned a medical magazine, um, advertiser supported. I ended up selling it um, after I got bored of it. And then that's when my journey really began of figure out who you are and what you want, because if you keep doing this, this is what your life's going to look like. And you've got to turn it around. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think we all come to that point in our lives where we just we start to see the the same pattern happening over and over and over again. And then we we look back and I always say, you know, well, that was going south. That went south. And so did that. And with the common denominator, all those situations. Oh, fuck. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Me. For sure. For sure. I, I know that happened for me as well. And I think a lot of I think all of us who have been through, you know, some some pitfalls, you know, we've realized that we started to you know, have the same situation happen over and over again, or the same relationship happen over and over again, and then realize that there's no one else to blame, that you know, the change has to happen. from yeah, within. And even if you change, you fall back into old habits, and it's probably going to happen less severely a couple more times. You just don't know it yet. Oh, yeah. It doesn't all go away. It's it's successive approximations. It still happens. You know, like you said, it's, it's going to keep happening, but maybe to less, less extreme uh, circumstances or uh, less severely. But, uh, you know, eventually we learn. Um, I, I was probably a very slow learner with some of the things cause I kept doing some of the things anyway, but you know, eventually we learn eventually, you know, the, uh, the cost of not changing gets to be too much and we, we do what we got to do. And yep. so, uh, and it, it sure. sounds, sounds like you were able to do that. And so you got into the marketing business. So why marketing? Like what, what, what drew you to that? Cause it, I mean, it sounds like that's something that you're very much an expert with and, You've done some amazing things. It sounds like you've worked in every medium possible. Um, why marketing and how did that become such a, a powerful field for you? So oddly enough, I was going to college to be a doctor um, to prove the big F you to being a trailer park kid. Because when you're a trailer park kid, it's like be a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what successful people do. And in my head, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor because that's what successful people do. So that's what I went to college for. In the meantime, behind the scenes, I had to have a job to support myself and I had to have a full-time job to support myself. So every job I had was in advertising and marketing and sales. Everyone starting at PBS, working through TV, radio, billboards, so on and so forth. Every single job that I managed to capture, although I got fired a lot, 
they were all marketing and advertising and sales related. Um, so behind the scenes, I was secretly building a career I didn't know I was going to have. Because in my head, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor in F the world. Uh, I'm going to prove it. Here you go. And it took me a long time, actually, till my third degree to figure out I was, in fact, not going to be a doctor. I was accepted into medical school twice. I just didn't go. Um, I didn't I didn't flunk out at anything. I just didn't go. Um, pissing away a huge opportunity. And then one day I was like, if I really wanted to be a doctor, me being me, I would have done it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be one. Therefore, I'm going to stop trying to be one. And that is when I decided I really did wanted to go all in on advertising because it's what I've been doing for, at that point, nine years of my life, um, you know, here and there and everywhere. That's what I had been doing. And I was like, this is like, I'm my, this is my Brett Favre. He can throw a ball. I can do advertising and sales. Like I can breathe. So it was a no brainer. It's how I supported myself. It's something I love and I'm very passionate about it, but it was all an accident. It was all hundred percent. I didn't know I had an arm. And then one day I was like, Fuck, I got an arm I can throw. And it's great to find that sweet spot. You know, you, you know, the, you, you got that two by two matrix, you know, the, of the things that were, you know, the, 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 four, the two by two, it's like, there's things we're good at and not good at. There's things that we like and don't like. And, you know, we get that one quadrant. That's the thing that you're great at and you love to do. That's, that's a sweet spot. And it sounds like you found that. I, I absolutely did. And it was just a complete happenstance of what I naturally fell into to not die. And that led me to this place where like my entire life has been built around it. So what well, started out as a survival mechanism to not die. <laughs> wow. And yeah. Now, and now look, you know, look what it's turned into for you. Yeah. It's a, sometimes I look back on it and I think to myself, like, how weird is life that I never thought like, this is what I would end up doing 29 years later. I never, like, it didn't even occur to me. I was just like, yeah, I'll just get another job doing this because I can, and it's easy and they'll hire me because I'm good at it. So I'll just go do that. You're very much into helping people still talk to me about how, how the helping figures into advertising. What's, you know, to, how do you, um, I know you've helped me already with, uh, you know, some marketing tips just from our conversations before. Um, how does advertising give you the best opportunity to help people? Well, there's a lot of prongs to this. So first and foremost, uh, I used to work with big companies like EA Games and Chase Bank and Walgreens, right? But I didn't get a lot of gratification out of it because you don't really help them. You just contribute. Um, and so I did some cool stuff in my career, but it wasn't like meaningful to me. And then I started my agency in 2015. And I discovered I can really move the needle for people in their business. And like, if you're a business owner, this is your baby and you invented it yourself. And like, it means everything to you. And if I can help you effectively grow that into something more scalable that you can sustain yourself with, I'm like, I am the winner. I'm the winner. You're and empowering so, people. Yeah. And so I found that my talent lends itself to being able to help business owners really scale their business and really grow and change and, and become bigger and more sustainable, right? Because most small businesses go out of business 85% of the time or something like that, some craziness. Um, and it's typically because of a lack of process strategy and marketing. Mm -hmm. And so if I can step in and really like affect that change and get you over that hump so you're scalable, like what an amazing gift I get to give to people. I mean, granted they pay me for it, but what a, what a great gift. And then secondarily to that, I also... Um, as my business, I'm charitable. The, the little dog that I have um, as my logo is two rescue dogs. That is dogs. adorable, by the way. Thanks. Uh, it's two rescue dogs. I used to have Webster and Sparkles, Web Spark uh, Media. My company is named uh -huh. after them. 
And we uh, donate a portion of our proceeds every year to animal rescue. Um, this year for our clients, we actually adopted an animal in each of their names for an entire year to give them food and shelter um, for each of my clients. Rather than a fruitcake, they got to adopt, you know, Sparky. Um, and uh, last year, the year before, we actually adopted a classroom of underprivileged children in our clients' names and gave them all gifts. We gave them a book to read, a piece of clothing to wear, and a toy. Um, and if they said they needed groceries, we also got them a gift card for some groceries. So um, we did that in our in our client's honor. So every Christmas, instead of, you know, the popcorn tin or the fruitcake, we find a way to give to uh, something that needs our help. I love that. Gosh, that's that's incredible. And then just, I'm hearing this and the thing that just stuck out in my mind, uh, if I can rewind just, from, you know, sure. you know, helping people in, in building their businesses is just what you're giving them also is the gift of freedom because I, I know so many people that they're stuck in jobs that they don't like. They're working for somebody else. They don't have control in, you know, of their life because they're, they're at somebody else's mercy. They're being told when to work, how to work, you know, what they're going to get paid for. It's, it's all dictated to them. They're, they're stuck in jobs that, you know, maybe are dead end and they don't like, and they don't feel like they have any other options. And, you know, the thought of going into self-employment and doing their own business is, is daunting. And so and then a lot of people who do take the plunge, it's it's very much a struggle. And so with what you're able to do, I mean, like you said, if marketing is one of the big shortcomings that everyone has, you, you, you give people a chance to actually thrive and be successful in something that's, you know, you know, a lot of businesses, like you said, they do fail. And so you give that to them, that that's a gift of freedom. That's a gift of allowing people to be their own agent of change. And that's just that that's so powerful. And, and then, uh, and then, on top of all of that, like I'm also now currently right now launching a brand to help entrepreneurs or potential entrepreneurs uh, work on their businesses. So uh, I'm I actually launched it today. As a matter of fact, it was the official branding launch or whatever. But I I really want to help people who want to become entrepreneurs. I want to help them down that path. And if they're a a beginning entrepreneur, I want to help them with the bottlenecks we all struggle with. And it doesn't matter what business you're in. You you run into the same problems, right? Personnel, HR, uh, process management, so on and so forth. It's all the same problem, even if it's a different business. And I really want to like get some thought leaders into these groups and really help business owners uh, with actionable change so that they can get over these humps with some help. And so I'm, I'm also launching that and I want to do a scholarship program so I can adopt a couple either new startup business owners or potential business owners and put them in the program for free so that they can learn to be entrepreneurs as well. Oh, hell yeah. Now, what's the name of this program that you're launching? Um, I haven't named it yet, but like the, that, that actual brand of me is Savage Alpha Female. And I think I'm going to call it the Savage Society. Um, I'm polling people to like see if that. they like that. <laughs> so that's, a, that's the stage we're at is the naming of what are we going to call this group of people that are there to help each other through bottlenecks. And then, the you know, obviously the mentors and stuff are going to, be the official people, but we can help each other. If we just sit in a room and talk about our problems, we can help each other. Um, Cause we all run into the same problems at the, at different times in our business. And and how awesome is that to be like, like you and I had the conversation, this is what I'm struggling with. And I was like, Oh, easy here. Right. And that's nothing to me because I know about it versus like, if, and then you vice versa could tell me something. Oh, I've ran into that before here. Let me tell you what I did. And we can get over these humps together. If we just, group up and talk about it. Heck yes. Oh my gosh. I love what you're doing there. I mean, it sounds like you know, you, you've been able to become very successful and you're giving back now. 
in so I'm many fine. colors. <laughs> in, you know, in, in your in your charitable programs, and then you know, having a scholarship program. I mean, you're just you're empowering so many people. You're giving them that freedom, and you're you're allowing people to follow their dreams. And so, you know, everyone says follow your dreams, follow your dreams. But you know, it, it's it's doable, but it's it's not that easy. And you're helping to facilitate that. And so, I just I, I love seeing that. Uh, you know, you're helping remove barriers for a lot of people. And so that's that. You know, there's definitely I, I can't think of too much greater of a purpose than that. So that's, that's incredible. Wow. That's, that's uh, my overgiver part, right? I gotta, I gotta fill that. I gotta fill that snacky void in some way. So I want to do it in a meaningful, not overgiver way. I want to do it to really help people experience what I've been able to experience with a lot of hard knocks. So it's my hope that this is adopted and people love it and I can help them. So it'll, it'll make me feel good. And hopefully it makes them feel good as long as I don't get too overzealous about it. No, that's, that's one hell of a purpose. I mean, it's, you know, we're always looking for things in, to give our lives purpose and, you know, we work hard and sometimes it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of challenge and sometimes a lot of headache to get to that point and to, to put this in place. I'm sure it, it's a lot of effort on your part and a lot of resources on your part, but uh, these are the things that give our lives purpose going forward. And so at the end of the day, it's, uh, it, it's great to know that you're putting your imprint on this world that way. And, having that, that kind of impact that you are. So that's uh gosh, it's extremely admirable. I love that. Thanks. What, what other future directions do you have for, uh, for WebSpark or any other endeavors? So, so WebSpark, we're, uh, we're tossing around the idea of uh, obviously we're scaling up and then we're tossing around the idea of making it franchisable or not. I haven't decided if that's something I want to look into um, it's a cool model and it works well in the local community. I, I service people all over the world, technically. Um, but wouldn't it be cool if part of this program of entrepreneurs, we could offer them an opportunity to franchise something really cool, if that's something they're interested in. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of tossing that around. And uh, I'm also moving into speaking uh, engagements and things like that. So I can share these messages with people because I've kind of kept it all to myself because I thought it was bragging. And I didn't feel good about it. But now that I'm stepping into like who I am and what I'm about, I'd really like to share the message and get more people inspired to do great things. So cool. I just thought of a question. And of course, it's something that everybody's been talking about. Trying <laughs> to know where it's, what's coming. So with chat GPT, GPT and, and the whole AI thing, it's got to be affecting what you do tremendously or the, the potential implications of that. Like how, how do you see this? foresee this affecting what you do in terms of the advertising and marketing world going forward? I think it's going to make us more efficient, um, but it is just recycling already created material. And there comes a finite point where you can no longer recycle that in infinitely. So people are going to have to continue to create material to feed the AI. It, it, it is not a point and maybe it will never be at a point where it can create its own material. Although it, it appears it's creating its own material, it's actually looking at things that have already been done and it's pulling from that to make the output. Um, and so if everybody just stopped doing what they're doing today and AI was left to its own devices, eventually just be regurgitating the same thing forever. It would hit a wall. Yes. Um, it, it's all new and cool now and bells and whistles and all that jazz. But um, it, it, there, is a, there is a point at which it will just stop. It'll just be the same crap over and over again. And people get bored of it. Um, people need to be creative. Us as human beings, we need to. We need that outlet. We need to hear our, have our voice heard. And I don't think that AI is ever going to replace that need. And so as long as people need to have a voice and this thing can regurgitate that voice, 
it's just going to make the world a more efficient, um, interesting place to be at and, uh, you know, stop wasting your time doing things that you don't like necessarily. Um, and then maybe use that time to like expand your voice and do impactful things instead of, you know, dilly dallying over, you know, let's make a list of the top 10 whatevers or whatever it is that you're messing with at the moment. So I just think it makes it scalable and allow us more freedom. And maybe our work weeks will shrink a little bit. Uh, so we'll have a little more family time and freedom, but we can still be really accomplished and still have a voice. I don't know. That's my hope. Um, I don't see it stopping the world as they predict, much like they said, robots would replace people. No, it won't. Um, it, you know, yes, they have their uses, but like, I don't want to like go get a massage from a robot ever. Like there's no chance in hell I want to do that. Or, you know, <laughs> you know, people say stuff like that. Like, oh, robots are going to take all the jobs. And I'm like, no, it's no. Cause people want to interact with one another. We need each other. And as long as that is the case, this world is not going to be run by robots and AI. It's just the human condition lends us to, to gathering and, and mm -hmm. having a voice. So I just think it, it amplifies and makes our voice more efficient, but we, we still need to keep talking. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, all along, I mean, the computers have only been able to be as smart as the people that are programming them. And so I, I think with this, they're only going to have as much information as to draw from as what we create. And so I, I'd have to agree with that. I, I think it is great to have something to save us the time for the more boring or mundane or mm -hmm. repetitive tasks. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I think that's great if we can let those things free up, you know, more of our bandwidth, you know, from the boring mundane tasks and more of our time so that we can have more, more time, more energy of our own energy and resources for growth and for expansion. I mean, I, I think that's, that, that that's the best case scenario and I could see how that would be amazing, but uh, yeah. Well, like I, in your case, could you imagine speaking to an AI about your, your, your therapy or your psychological problems and then getting a like believable help like could you imagine that happening like there's no chance i would be like hey so i have some depression and the robot goes uh, here this is what clinical depression is and this is how it's treated typically and blah 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 blah, blah, blah right you can't I'll be about your mother <laughs> yeah you cannot replace the human element for things that we as humans need from each other like we need connection we need physical presence we need to be heard there's a bunch of things we just need to be alive and to be people and so I don't think at this iteration that's going to be replaced by a robot that spits out information. I just don't see it. No, I'd, I'd have to agree. I mean, especially, you know, some, like you said, so many of the helping professions, I, I just, I can't imagine going for psychotherapy with a, you know, with a robot or an operating right? system or, you know, there's, you know, something that just has that personal element, you know, and, you know, when you're trying to help people in their social interactions and helping them interact with people and everything else, um you know in relationships i mean having them you know have, having the the medium be a machine or a robot to teach them how to do that that just seems counterproductive because you're not teaching people to be comfortable talking to other human beings well they also like you know some some people get all haywire and they're like oh you're gonna jack into some interface and then your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife is gonna be an ai and i was like it just will lack the human element of surprise and excitement and elation and not to mention physical touch and all the things like you won't get that stuff that we need. Like, isn't it a proven fact if you don't hug babies, they fail to thrive? Like, of course, that's why right? they have cuddlers. I mean, when my son was a premature baby in the NICU, they actually had volunteers that were cuddlers that would 
you know, if their parents couldn't be there. I mean, my, my son was at a hospital a couple hours away up in Gainesville and they had, you know, um, you know, a lot of, there were a lot of ladies that were retired. They'd go and they'd, they'd hold the babies and give them physical touch, you know, because it was something that they needed. And if, if they didn't have that, you know, as, you know, as far as attachment and everything else, it, you know, it affects their well-being and, you know, psychological development and everything else. And so. And I feel like as adults, even we need that, right? Just imagine if you didn't get hogged ever, like just by random people, like just imagine. What happened to people last couple of years when they were isolated, you know, people were isolated and on lockdown and everything else. I mean, you know, there were more, there was a reason there were more cases of depression and suicide and everything else. And I, I knew that was going to happen in, in March, 2020, when it, I, I called, I said, there's going to be a spike in suicides and people are going to get really depressed because they're not going to have human contact. And violence and, and increased violence because we can't live in a world that doesn't have that stuff. So I just, I just don't think it's going to replace people. I just think it's going to change the way we do things. And that's, so did a car, right? We're not riding around on horses anymore. So did an airplane. We can go around the world. I mean, every technology changes the way we do things, but it doesn't eliminate people. Right. Yeah. I think job descriptions will change, but, uh, you know, I don't think everybody's going to be all of a sudden without a job. And just Yeah. I think it's a bit, a bit like, you know, I don't know what they call that when you go down the slippery slope and like, you know, catastrophizing <laughs> yeah it's just like it's just like you you hear the things people say and you're just like what no 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 have you been around people like we need to be hugged and like talked to and surprised and things we need stuff well people like to go doom and gloom people like to scare you and get you freaked out because that's i mean that's that's how the news operates the news operates on your fears and so you know, people like to talk about what the worst case scenario is with all this, and it's going to change the world and for the negative, or it's going to destroy the world. And as we know it, and you know, that's, that's how people get your attention. So like anything else, we just have to be mindful about what we consume. You know, we can control only a handful of things. We can control, control what we consume physically in terms of what we eat and drink, or we can control people we hang around with. We can control what we put in our mind. And so what we listen to. So we need to make sure we still have a filter in place and not let, you know, a lot of people's predictions and, you know, not take those too much as gospel that uh, right. things are going to happen. And and also like adopt, right? Adopt and adapt. Did you, you know, imagine if you never picked up a cell phone, like in our lifetime, we didn't have cell phones when we were kids. So imagine if you just shunned the new technology, where would you be now? Like, what would you do? There's no pay phones. There's no way to reach people anymore unless you have a cell phone. Just imagine if we never used a computer because when we were kids, there were no computers. I mean, there were a little bit of them, but you know, they didn't have them in every house. So imagine what your life would be like if you didn't just adopt to the new technology and go, all right, this makes my life easier. We'd probably all be talking to each other and still pretending that we liked each other. <laughs> That's crazy talk. What are you, a psychologist? <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just another, it's just another piece of technology that I think will make our lives a little easier and a little different. So Oh, I like that. Well, that's, that's, that's great insight. I, I, I figured uh, you'd probably given that some thought because, you know, given the enormous amount of content that everybody is putting out, whether it's social media and marketing and everything else. I mean, uh, there's not really too much you can't generate through uh, AI at this point. So I figured uh, that was something that your field was going to be uh, very I've, aware of. I've been using it for the last two years. So it's not new, new to me. Like chat GPT, did not blow my doors off. I'm like, I've been using Jasper since they brought it out. It was clunky, but I've been using it for a long time. I've been, I've been using a lot of these kind of tools and then chat GPT came out. And of course I started using it. It's cool, but it's not like, going to replace a person it's you know makes my job easier and then it gives me another thing is it spurns ideas so i can be better at my job yeah 
because sometimes it just spits out things I didn't think of. And I go, oh, that's a cool angle. And then I just run with it. So um, I have I have been an early adopter because I thought it was cool back when, just like virtual reality. I knew about that when I worked in mobile app downloads, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. I was like, oh, that's cool. It's going to catch on one of these days. And, uh, and lo and behold, got the goggles everywhere now. Yeah. And I, I like the idea that it could uh, give you some ideas about directions to go. I, you know, I kind of like writing my own copy. I, you know, that's something I pride myself on and I like being my own wordsmith and everything else. And some part of me just, you know, the, the proud part of me, that's like, that's one of my superpowers. I don't know if I want to you know, necessarily give that up, but if it gives you other ideas about what to write about. Yes. Just like you put it in and like spit some stuff out and you're like, I did not even think of that. Mm-hmm. And then off you go into this world of imagination of just a new idea. See, I like that part because all I need is one idea, you know, mm-hmm. make a daily post. It's like, you know, it's like, what am I going to write about today? And you usually come up with something pretty quickly, but you know, that that's where I think would be very valuable for me is to just have something that uh, triggers that idea. And then, all and then off you go and you're like, oh yeah, that memory or that time or that thing, or gosh, dang, I want to talk about this or whatever. Like it just, it just triggers your mind of thinking in a, maybe a little different way and different idea. I don't know. I just think it's pretty cool. It just, helps me it just helps me be better honestly yeah yeah i think it'll be good oh well, but there's a shortcoming too because i'm sure you can't program it to drop in like strategically placed f-bombs and all all my posts have to have one or two strategically placed f-bombs you know for you can, tell it to, you can tell it to curse it will do it really yeah oh my gosh yeah. Thought of everything then. <laughs> yeah but it's you know again and even the stuff it puts out it's not it's not in your voice you just you, you have to mess with it, make it, make it your voice. But it, again, I just use it for ideation mostly. And just like, Oh, that's smart. Okay. Now I got an idea. Yeah. You know, like anything else, take it what, what helps you and, but don't, uh, don't fall completely into the, into the I mean, pit. I'm sure there's a group of people that like take whatever it does and put it off as their own, but they're going to mm-hmm. run into plagiarism issues and all kinds of other stuff. But the, the bulk of us creative minds and visionaries and stuff, I think are just going to use it to like, come up with better ideas and yeah. and be a little more prolific because we don't have to sit there and strain our brain for three hours being like, I just cannot think of anything right now. And then you see a little prompt and you're like, Oh, Oh, oh I got something. And off you go. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. It's, I think it's a great idea generator, but yeah, I didn't, yeah. The pl- plagiarism, that's for sure. I mean, eventually there's only going to be so many ways you can write these things and everybody's going to start having the same thing. Mm-hmm. And imagine if you like, there's AI that creates videos So imagine if you're like, we're having this conversation and the person looks real, but you know, they're not real. And it's like a, it's like an AI, it's an AI video having this conversation with you. It's going to be weird. It's going to be awesome. When you go to buy a book on Amazon too, and then you're all excited for this uh, author's latest release. And then you, you pick it up and you realize you pretty much read that whole book before by somebody else. Yeah. 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 And and that's what happens. And then everybody's going to get sick of it and then they're going to change it and it'll get better. But like, yeah, I, I just, I don't live in fear. I live in excitement. I think it's a, it's a great tool. Yeah. We're going to have a shit ton of, uh, of Amazon bestselling authors coming pretty soon. I think. <laughs> Amongst other things, master bloggers, copywriters, sales gurus, online classes, you name it. Gotcha. Oh my gosh. Well, I need to be respectful of your time. I'm so grateful for you being here. Um, before I let you go, uh, tell everybody how they can find you and, uh, and follow you and see what you're up to and, uh, how they can avail themselves of your services if need be. Sure thing. You can find me on all social media under Savage Alpha Female, um, websparkmedia.com is our website. Uh, you can email me at jennifer at websparkmedia.com. 
um, at any point in time and reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And I'm also always open, like as with you, to conversation to get to know you. And I'm happy to give any kind of help that I can to you um, within reason, obviously, if you just need some tips and tricks or you're just kind of stuck, um, you can feel free to reach out to me because I'm always happy to share the knowledge that I have in my head. Incredible. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. Uh, all right, everybody. This was uh, this was another great show. If this resonated with you, if you got some nuggets from this, please go ahead and share the show. Go on and leave us five-star review on Spotify and on Apple. Go forth with your week. Make it a productive one. Make it your mission to make someone else's week, day, life better. And uh, we'll see you next time.